Hey, Light Anglers. Today is April 26th. My name is Jack, and welcome to your daily episode of The Light Angle. If this is your first time here, welcome. I'll be spending the next 5 to 15 minutes talking about some stuff going on in the world while introducing scripture in hopes of spreading the good news of our King of Kings, Jesus Christ, and using that knowledge to better deal with the negativity we find ourselves living in day to day. As always, your five-star review, liking, subscribing, and sharing of this show with others helps us better spread the light angle and the word of God. All right, so some news stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on in the news, uh, of which I probably won't talk about. Well, you know, you got to talk about Elon Musk, you know, spent like, like what, 40-some billion and bought Twitter. So that's good in regards to maybe we have a chance of free speech uh, prevailing. Maybe not. Who knows? We'll see what comes of that. Uh, yeah, some other stuff. I came across a story on the Daily Beast, which I usually, you know, try to avoid like the plague. The Daily Beast is really just the worst. Uh, and, uh, this article, eh, you know, isn't much different, but it was brought up something, you know, interesting. So as a Christian, you know, we're not supposed to be worshiping false idols. We're not supposed to be worshiping anything, but, uh, you know, the triune God, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and yet there are some, you know, denominations uh, that call themselves Christians, uh, but they place a very high regard to uh, relics, you know, Christian relics, you know, like someone says they found a piece of Jesus's cross or, you know, one of the shirts, one of the apostles wore, you know, that sort of thing. And so let's Let's talk about this because uh, this article kind of brought that up and, you know, what should we do? What shouldn't we do? Stuff like that. So the topic here is did Russia's sunken warship try to use a religious weapon? Hmm. A little over a week ago, reports emerged that the Moskva, the flagship of Russia's Black Sea fleet, had sunk. The Moskva, Moskva was a missile cruiser and according to Russian state media, the ship had sunk following an explosion on board. The news created a buzz in the religious community because there are rumors that there was a fragment of the true cross, the cross on which Jesus was crucified, on board at the time. If true, this would make the relic-toting warship the latest example in a long tradition where religious objects have been weaponized in conflicts. In 2020, the Russian Orthodox Church announced that a reliquary con containing a 19th century metal cross was about to be delivered to Vice Admiral Igor Osipov, the then commander of the Black Sea Fleet. The cross was special because it embedded within it was a small splinter of wood. It had been donated by an anonymous collector. The relic was supposed to have been transferred to the small chapel on board the Moskva. There are numerous questions to be asked here. Was the wood from the True Cross? Was it transferred to the ship? Was the ship sunk by the Ukrainian military? Are reports about Osipov's alleged arrest correct? But the incident speaks to the phenomenon of religious weapons. Religious relics, like the Moskva cross, are objects that have a particular physical relationship to saints and other religious figures. Often these are bone fragments or the tufts of hair of religious figures. The Latin reliquae just means remains or what is left over. But sometimes they are items that are closely tied to the holy deceased person. Examples of these second-class relics include clothes, jewelry, significant personal possessions, etc. In Roman Catholicism, objects, usually small pieces of fabric that have come into contact with the remains of a saint, 
are considered to be a lower or third-class form of relic. The phenomenon is not exclusively Christian. Relics are important to Islam, some forms of Buddhism, and other smaller religions. It is not even exclusively religious. Anyone who has kept the lock of hair of a loved one, the sweatshirt of the one who got away, or a signed photograph of a celebrity understands the power of physical connection in context of grief, separation, and adulation. In Christian, Christian denominations that utilize relics, these items are clearly hierarchized. Yeah, yeah, there's a level. A relic associated with Jesus, like the true cross, is considered to be more powerful than a relic of a less popular saint. These hierarchies extend to body parts, the head of John the Baptist, which resides in at least four locations. It is special precisely because the New Testament has a whole story about it. The origins of relic practices are obscure, but arguably the earliest evidence for Christian relic logic comes from the beginning of the 3rd century. Dr. James Cork Webster, a senior lecturer at King's College London, told the Daily Beast, we get a glimpse of the origins of such thinking about relics in one Christianity's first martyr narratives, the Passion of Perpetua. As that story reaches its climax, a Christian on the cusp of his death turns to his jailer, tells him, don't let these things upset you, let them strengthen you then takes the ring off the man's finger, dips it in his own open wound, and returns it to him as a symbol and a memory. This might seem alarmingly unhygienic, but the blood of the martyr transforms the ring into an object of religious power as well as a memento. We can only wonder, Cork Webster added, what the jailer did with the ring. I wonder if he realized he had the first deliberate relic in Christianity's history. Because relics are associated with saintly individuals, and heroes, they very quickly accrued a reputation as sources of deployable power. Pilgrims who visited the shrines of saints were just tourists, just like those who had visited shrines dedicated to Asclepius or the Delphic Oracle. They were looking for healing and answers. The logic of intensified power mean that relics quickly became protective. John Chrysostom, the bishop of Antioch, said that the relics of the saints were more powerful than walls, trenches, weapons, and hosts of soldiers. As Patrick Geary puts it into his, po into his book, Living with the Dead in the Middle Ages, the bodies of saints were security deposits left by the saints. They brought the special protection of the saint to the community, shielding it from enemies, both spiritual and temporal, and ensuring its prosperity. Now I'm going to pause right here and just think about those first disciples. And if you think really hard about how they died, um, you might think twice about, you know, keeping what they left behind, especially if you're looking for protection, just saying, you know, okay, let's move on. By the sixth century, the idea that a saint's relics could protect a city and ensure military victory over both enemies abroad and heretics within had become a popular propagandistic tool. Conceptually, accruing relics was a means of reinforcing the defense system of a city or capital. Practically, it was a means of moving power around. When King Alfonso II of Asturias, which is now northern Spain, a rough contemporary of Charlemagne, established a capital uh, Oviedo, he invoked the legend of St. Tiberius of Astorga. According to legend, the 5th century saint had transported a huge chest of high-status relics relating to Jesus and other saints to Africa for safekeeping. The chest then moved to Toledo and then Ovidio. I'm pretty sure I smelled that. I spelled that wrong. In, anyway, it was moved in 711. Alfonso was able to use the mythology of the relic transport to transfer political and cultural power to his new capital. 
The most famous relic is the Sojourn of Oviedo, the cloth that was supposedly wrapped around the head of Jesus at his burial. Even today, pilgrims detour the Oviedo to visit the Spanish companion piece to the Turin Shroud. Anyway, give some more examples. I'm getting really tired of reading all these examples and stuff, but you get the point, right? So there's rumors that a piece of Jesus's cross, the true cross, was on board the ship that uh, sunk. So what does that mean? Well, probably nothing. So I was trying to put thinking, put into words exactly, you know, what is the real truth behind it. And in my searching online, I saw a really good post uh, from an individual who is not named. The author isn't named to this, but I'm going to read it because it pretty much sums up uh, as Christians what I think is accurate and true. So the author says, it would be extremely interesting if an actual piece of Jesus' cross or a thorn from the crown of thorns could be discovered and verified. The problem is, is that there is absolutely no way to know if a piece of Judean wood dates to the first century AD. Someone could claim it to be from Jesus' cross, but how would that claim be substantiated? The wood could just as easily have come from a Judean fence post. In the early centuries of the Roman Catholic Church, Relics became a massive profiteering scam. Seemingly, every church throughout Europe had some sort of relic to attract visitors. If a church in a nearby town discovered, in quotes, a more important relic, a game of one-upsmanship ensued with the relics being discovered, becoming more and more impressive. All that to say, it is highly unlikely that any of the Christian relics discovered in the past 2,000 years have any true connection to Jesus or the Apostles. One of the dangers inherent in the veneration of relics is the temptation to commit adultery. This is exactly what happened in ancient Israel. God had told Moses to make a bronze serpent in order to save the Hebrews from a plague of poisonous snakes. Numbers 21 verses 8 through 9. That bronze serpent was kept by the Israelites as a reminder of God's goodness and salvation. However, by the time of King Hezekiah, the relic had become an object of worship. Hezekiah's reform, or reforms included breaking into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Neheshton. They even gave a name to the bronze snake. That's in 2 Kings 18, verse 4. Physical aids to faith, if not commanded by God, are unnecessary and inevitably lead to superstition and adultery. There is absolutely no power in Christian relics. Even if the entire cross of Jesus were discovered intact, it would still have no spiritual value. Relics do not in any manner whatsoever enable us to get closer to God. The humerus of a saint can do nothing for your spirit. Relics should not be prayed to, worshipped, or in any way be used as a means to better connect with God. Using relics in such a talismanic way is blatant idolatry. Exodus 20 verse 3 and Isaiah 42 verse 8. An elaborate church filled with relics is no more valid a place for worship than a simple tent in a jungle. We worship the Lord in the spirit and the truth. John 4.24 Not by idols, icons, or relics, whether genuine or fake. That's good stuff. That sums it up. And here's something that was left out of all of that. Why is it so important for us to, some of us, to fixate our attention on something that, you know, we assume was belonging to someone else hundreds hundreds of years ago when we're told over and over in the word of God so God tells us that literally he 
dwells within us. Doesn't that make us as Christians, if we truly are Christian and we truly believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again, if we believe that, doesn't that make us a billion times more than any of these relics? It isn't having that relationship with our Creator what it's all about. Uh, yeah, you know, maybe Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 3, 16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And then again, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own. So let me ask you a question. How does a relic compare to the spirit of God within you? It doesn't. There's no comparison. So, I don't know. In my opinion, my humble little old opinion, uh, I think this story is just a bunch of nonsense. In some way or another, I kind of feel like, you know, the Daily Beast is just trying to make a mockery of Christianity and what some groups do, you know, and that's unfortunate because it doesn't help in any way further the good news of Jesus Christ. So think about that today, (laughs) y'all. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for giving us the ability to invite the Holy Spirit in us through your son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would guide us to the narrow path we are told to follow. Help us do God's will and not our own and steer us away from the false idols and the ways of this world that leads us away from our Creator. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all, that's it for today's episode of The Light Angle. But remember, we each have a purpose that's much greater than making a few extra dollars, feeding a temptation, or getting the last word in on a social media post. It all starts with two simple things, loving our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Hope always starts with a little light in the darkness.